The point that I'm trying to help people understand is that tech doesn't solve problems. Process mm. and strategy solves problems and tech makes those things that work, work better. Um, and so mm-hmm. I see people just trying to plug in MarTech thinking that it's going to solve everything when the strategy is wrong. Hey, it's Dan McGaw here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack consulting firm, McGaw.io. Each week, I speak to executives behind wildly ambitious businesses to find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, Chris Walker, CEO of Refine Labs, a go-to-market strategy firm that works with B2B SaaS companies to drive their demand generation engine, joins us. They're relatively new to the scene, only founded in 2019, but since then, Chris has made a name for himself and Refine Labs by sharing his demand gen strategies on his podcast, The State of Demand Gen, and creating a content repurposing machine to amplify the content across LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and even TikTok. He thinks that too often people think the tools are broken when actually it's just their strategy sucks. Too many marketers underestimate the power of qualitative data, really understanding who your customers are and what's driving their behavior and choices. What we'll learn from Chris is the stack he's using to collect and analyze those insights and why they matter. Here's my conversation with Chris. Hey, everyone. My name is Chris Walker. I'm currently the CEO of Refine Labs. Before that, I spent nine years in several different B2B companies, some profitable holdings companies and some high-growth venture-funded companies. One notable one called Vapotherm that was highly successful and IPO'd based on some of the marketing engine work that I had done there, which was the foundation of the strategy that we now implement at our company and at the moment uh, help more than 50 B2B SaaS companies transform their demand generation and account-based marketing programs to modern tactics that are buyer-centric and drive better results. Now, help me understand, what is Refine Labs from your perspective? Like, and what do you all do? We are a go-to-market strategy firm that's helping companies think completely differently about how to go to market. And so that's sort of like where it's at. We approach it through a highly focused marketing lens, but it's a go-to-market strategy. The reason that we approach it in a marketing lens is because most B2B companies know how to do sales, but most of them do not know how to do modern marketing. They know how to run a playbook from 2013, demand waterfall, how many MQLs can we get, let's shove them through marketing automation, let's do all the same things that tech vendors taught us a decade ago. And so there's a wide opening, and I'm trying to help companies see that the first thing to fixing your go-to-market is fixing marketing. People think and see the metrics of like sales metrics falling and things like that and think they have a sales problem, think they need more SDRs, need more sales tech, need to send more cold emails, need to do hire another million dollars to do sales training next year or whatever else they want to do. The real problem is rooted in your marketing team is not doing any real marketing that makes moves forward buyers today. And you can't change anything about your sales engine, how much headcount you have, how you staff SDRs, how inefficient the buying process is, how high your sales CAC is. You can't fix any of those things until you fix marketing first because it creates the space and flexibility to then go back and rebuild sales. And so that's how we approach go-to-market. We're also a uh, moving into what I would consider phase two of the life cycle of this company, which is fueling innovation inside of companies at scale. This position that we're in right now, I've recognized that most people don't see it from the position that I'm in. We have data on 55 SaaS companies and how they're running demand gen, where the revenue's coming from, how much is getting sourced yeah. by marketing sales partner based on ACV or sales cycle length or industry or things like that. And so we have a data and a viewpoint that most companies that are in their own company never see. 
only get anecdotal insights in a Slack community or something like that. We get Salesforce data. Um, and so believe that long term we are positioned to to basically be an objective third party that drives how marketing and go-to-market strategies should be done, which at the moment is being sort of like outsourced to consulting firms, analyst firms, or ad platforms. And I think that there's a, a better way that companies will want to do it in the future using a firm like ours. What is your big, hairy, audacious goal, though, with Refine Labs, right? Like, what are you working towards? Like, what's the big goal you have next 10 years, 20 years? Because it's a services company. It's not, a, it's not an exit, typically, as easy as it would be with a SaaS company. But is, is that the goal? or We are going to build a billion-dollar company from scratch with no funding and show people how you can build a company a different way right now. Um, mm. One that is built on sound fundamental business principles that are built on customer insights, that are built on creating an amazing culture, that are built on doing things the right way. That's one of the pieces that we're working on in order to achieve that vision. We are going to add product-based companies inside of the holdings company that we're building. So multiple products in the pipeline in order to achieve that vision. And lastly, to when that happens, to be able to look back and be like, wow, thousands of companies operate marketing the way that we do. The dashboards are built the way that we build them, the way they run media is built, the way they think about attribution and all the other new innovations and things that we come up with. Companies adopt because the way that we think about marketing and the way that we approach it from a strategy first, technology second, puts us in a very unique position to flat out be more objective in the advice that we give to people. What is your demand gen motion that you're using to grow Refine Labs? Like, what are you doing to continuously grow it? We operate with both our company and our customers in a framework that we call stacking growth, which means find one channel that delivers, understand the mechanics of how it delivers, work on scaling it, and while you're scaling it, go out and run experiments to figure out what the next one's going to be. Um, and so what people see now is a collection of multiple channels and activities that are stacked on top of one another, but the methodology of how you build them is one by one. And so built first LinkedIn text post, then we did a live events. Um, live events created video content that then got pushed into LinkedIn. Live events went away because of the pandemic for obvious reasons. Yeah. So we pivoted to podcasts. So then we had basically a podcast, which was then fueling LinkedIn. After that, we added YouTube. So then yeah. you have YouTube, podcast, LinkedIn. YouTube, we're already getting, we've been running the channel seriously for five months. We're already getting people that are attending our events, that are asking for consultations, that are doing things, that saying, hey, I discovered you on YouTube. So clear signals that yeah. now we're working on operationalizing and scaling. So how do we get to three videos a day? How do we improve watch time? How do we improve visibility? So working on those things. TikTok mm -hmm. is the next layer, which is in the experimental phase, right? We're not getting the signals of, hey, this is going to be the next dr major driver of growth for our company yet, but we've been operating on it seriously yeah. for about 30 days. Um, and so those are sort of like the four major channels that are delivering. And then we move into product-based offerings. We're going to run our exact same demand gen strategy that we help software companies do. Pay, like yeah. Paid media, cross-channel, delivering content and insights, not collecting leads that teach people and create affinity for the product and the category and, and the success of people that are using it. Um, and so in my experience, running paid media to sell services is a losing game. Um, you yes. get the wrong customers, don't close, whatever. And so I look forward to when we launch this product later this year, 
to running our demand gen model and showing how fast you can grow a company that is built on the right strategy and then implementing a sound media and communication strategy. What are the KPIs that you're pushing on your, I'm making an assumption that you have a marketing team. So what are the metrics that you are measuring them on? Like what are their high level ones? So we have a growth team that combines uh, sales and marketing together. Um, I think it's interesting because most people that do this come from the sales angle, right? So the leadership yeah. and the and the, it's so it's sales first, and our entire team is marketing first. The person who leads yeah. the growth team had never done sales before she worked here, and has been highly successful because when you do marketing well, sales is super fucking easy. Um, and so mm-hmm. we the metrics that she's scored on is like a lot of the metrics that I'm talking about, net new revenue, growth, customer acquisition costs, things like that. When you break it down to the marketing team level, like a director or a manager level, we measure against activities. Um, and it's like, so are we able to continue the production schedule? Do we put out three podcasts on the right time at the same time? We're looking at audience growth of the podcast mm. as a quantitative metric, but like, it's nice for me to be able to say like, hey, 35,000 people or whatever listen to our podcast, but like that person's not like getting bonused or we're not seriously scoring her on whether the podcast is hitting certain growth targets. What can that person control? That person can control doing the right activities, like orchestrating it, delivering the podcast, having them posted, having them optimized so that more people can find the podcast, sharing them on the company channel, right? It's crazy if you have a strategy that works, than scoring people on the activities that deliver against the, the results of the strategy is an easy way to do it. Yeah. So yeah, those are some of the things that we look at and how we think about it. I love it. I mean, honestly, I hear a lot of like, we don't measure everything, right? So uh, because at the end of the day, most of those measurements don't matter. And that's definitely something that I'm kind of hearing as we go through that. Now, when you it's talk crazy. about- It's crazy. Sorry, I want to get this in here, but it's like- yeah. Who cares about like how many podcast subscribers or how many LinkedIn followers you have? If your pipeline is growing, whatever, 100% a quarter, nobody cares, right? I consider pipeline to be a lagging metric. Some people look at it as a leading metric, but it's like as long as the business metrics are moving in the right direction, why do we care about this other stuff? And that's why I see software companies do. They get so caught up in the early metrics that they miss the fact that they're like the real metrics don't move or not moving as well as they could. I've been in the industry for over 20 years, and as you can imagine, I've seen a lot of shit go down in my time. One of the greatest learning experiences I had was during my time as the head of marketing at Kissmetrics, where I succeeded Neil Patel, the world's most famous digital marketer. For those of you who may not be aware of Kissmetrics, it was an analytics startup that raised over $10 million in venture funding. We were one of the most well-known analytics tools of our time, and they actually invented the modern funnel report. We had one of the most kick-ass powerhouse digital marketing blogs. We were launching blog posts, doing webinars with thousands of people, and repurposing all of our content in many ways. We measured our content team on their activities as we knew the strategy was good and it all worked. Anyone who knows the content game knows that it is a long-term play, and quantitative metrics in the early stages can actually deter you from the dedication it requires to make content marketing successful. We built an amazing brand. In fact, our blog was so successful, it was ranked the number one digital marketing blog by many, many, many other companies. Building an amazing brand, being able to show great quantitative data like traffic to something like our blog or webinar registrations is only working if at the end of the day, it's driving revenue. As you can hear Chris state, their strategy is clearly driving revenue. And we had the same at Kissmetrics. 
At the end of the day, you can't measure everything. Building trust, building rapport, and having your customers hear about you through word of mouth is important, as Chris emphasizes. And this is exactly how Kissmetrics became so popular. Now, you might not have heard of Kissmetrics, and that had nothing to do with us not having enough demand. We got plenty of people to sign up for the product and try it, but due to bad product strategy, we had high churn, so it eventually ran the company out of business. Demand does not solve all problems. Your weakest link in the business is where you fail. Well, let's hear what Chris has to say about his stack. When you think about your tech stack, right, what's in your stack that's helping you run this demand, track what's going on in marketing, track what's going on in sales? How are you running your stack? What are the big components? I think that there is tech that we use, but the point that I'm trying to help people understand is that tech doesn't solve problems. Process Mm. and strategy solves problems, and tech makes those things that work, work better. Um, And so Mm. I see people just trying to plug in MarTech, thinking that it's going to solve everything when the strategy is wrong. We do use technology here. It's very helpful, and it helps helps us as a company accelerate things that we've proven to work already and just watch people sort of like not take the time to figure out how to make Facebook ads work better or make Facebook ads work at all before they go and buy a $60,000 piece of software and then plug it in. And then they're like, oh, it's the software's fault. It didn't work. And it's like, no, your strategy didn't work. So we use HubSpot for our CRM, market automation, and CMS. Um, It's just been a lightweight, easy-to-use tool that can run our entire business off of. So that's been great. Uh, We use Zoom to run our webinars. We've explored virtual event platforms, but honestly, they do not meet the requirements of the way that we run events, which is weekly recurring micro events, not large scale 5,000 people virtual events with a bunch of breakout sessions. And so whoever is a virtual event company listening, I think there's an opening in the market to think differently about how you tool your product to support recurring micro events like a Zoom does. I would use a different product if there was Mm. an offering, but there isn't. We, uh, our team leverages Adobe Creative Suite to work on video post-production, audio post-production, things like that. Uh, we use a tool called Anchor FM. I'm not even sure if we still use this, but we initially did to actually publish the podcast across different mediums like Spotify and Apple. And then we use a lot of publicly available free tools like LinkedIn, like Apple yeah, Podcasts, right? like YouTube, like TikTok which is the mediums, the interface between you and your customer, and all of it's free. Yeah, I push people to think about the immense amount of free tools that are actually the most valuable because the free tools force you to have a strategy that works. If your stuff isn't working in LinkedIn, there's a reason. You don't have the yeah. right audience, you don't understand the audience, you're not producing things that they like. You, know, you can go through and understand why is it not working, but it will tell you. And so th- some of those things are good. I'm, I'm experiencing that a little bit on TikTok right now. And it's very humbling to go from having 85,000 followers on LinkedIn that love your stuff and you know you're going to post it and a bunch of people are going to love it and then moving over to TikTok and I'm lucky to get 500 views right now. And it's good. It forces you yeah. to get back into it in a new channel and say, what do I need to do differently in order to make this channel and medium work? And it forces mm. you to innovate and it forces you to try things and it forces you to get out of your comfort zone. So you have things going on on LinkedIn as an example, right? You're getting 25,000 views on a video there. You then have the same video in some capacity on YouTube. Are you only using those platforms' measurement systems or are you measuring those activities in something else? Like do you have a dashboard to track all of your social or any of that stuff? Or is it, no, I don't have that stuff. 
no, we don't have that stuff. Like all in-platform metrics are fine with me. And I'm not even looking at how many likes they get, how many comments, how many views. It doesn't matter to me. What matters is, are am I producing content? Am I delivering that consistently? Are people signaling to me that they like it through comments, direct messages, conversations, at events, getting invited to podcasts like this? Like Those are the signals that matter, not how many likes mm-hmm. or views a, a video got. And so I'm trying to shift people away that the qualitative data that you get is really the stuff that I use and it's really the stuff that matters and it's why I think our strategy works and is very unique. I can tell a story real quick. I've told this story before, but it's like it's so impactful yeah. to drive this home. In 2019, I ran an experiment where I had started moving into video on LinkedIn and I used video for a month and then I shifted for a month to only text posts. The reason is because the LinkedIn algorithm shows the views of a text post differently. So my mm. the views of my video get on LinkedIn platform show 25,000 views. It's seen a lot more than that. It's just not the video isn't watched. And on the mm. text post, it just shows per impression. The amount of views that I got from switching on that went from hundreds of thousands to more than 10 million views in a month. And our mm-hmm. pipeline went down that month. The reason is because in order to get a million views on LinkedIn, you have to talk about shit that is so fluffy and so like broad, like, oh, I had this tough time in my career and here's a story about how I solved it. It's not teaching people yeah. about your company. It's not teaching about people about the problems that you solve. It's not creating affinity to you for marketing. And I recognize that the value of a video view is significantly higher than a text post impression. People get caught up in looking at metrics that don't matter. You just feel the signals, I don't know. Not all signals are created equal. When you're looking at your activities, trying to feel the signals, as Chris said, you need to remember that signals and metrics are not equal. As Chris says, if your engagement metrics, views, likes, subscribers are going up, but your pipeline is going down, you're doing something wrong. Now, I'm not sure if I would say a one month period of testing videos versus tech posts on LinkedIn is long enough to have statistical significance. As I know from firsthand experience, consulting services have a longer time from awareness to actually being a part of the sales pipeline. But who knows, Chris is working in a different industry. As Chris well knows, a podcast can be a great way to connect more intimately with your audience. Someone who listens to your podcast because of the unique insights you are offering on, let's say, a specific aspect of marketing like tech stacks will be way more engaged than someone who casually likes your fluffy LinkedIn post. It's that trust building and being able to really gain those qualitative insights that Chris keeps coming back to. He thinks it is the piece of the puzzle that is really missing for most marketers, and when harnessed properly, it can be a marketer's superpower. But without metrics, all we've got is a bunch of noise coming at us and we still have to make sense of it. So unlike Chris, I think there are some amazing tools out there for tracking and analyzing the impact of your activities. This is where human nature can take us afoul. Listening to signals, using only qualitative data, and not using math allows our cognitive biases to drive the ship and not reality. Confirmation bias alone can take your business down if you are not proving yourself wrong with quantitative data. In my stack, I use everything from Segment to Amplitude to Salesforce to Hotjar to prove my qualitative assumptions wrong. And you would be surprised, I am wrong more than 50% of the time. And me being wrong is prevented from becoming a mistake as I have a way to gut check myself against hard data. The thing about signals is you can't always be in the room when someone is collecting the qualitative data. So how does Chris measure Refine Labs? 
Back to him to find out. You have HubSpot set up, so it's got to be a point of where people come into your site, they come into your funnel. What are you measuring in there? Because naturally, don't get me wrong, like signals are great. I agree with you. Like I run my business in this very, very similar fashion as you do. But at the same time, I also know that like at a certain point, I can't be there, right? So like I've got to be able to have some sort of metrics in. We don't use HubSpot, but in my in my tools to be able to measure things. What are you going back to the concept of attribution, right? Like, and I'm not assuming you're doing like some big multi-touch attribution model, right? You're probably having people feel, how did you hear about us, right? So is that how you're tracking attribution in HubSpot? And is that how things bubble up to you? I put a dashboard in place in HubSpot about how we do attribution to model the way I think companies should do it and to create data to show people what's actually happening because no companies do. And so we set up in two sides. Basically, the dashboard gets split in the middle. On the left-hand side is what we call create demand attribution, uh, which we use self-reported attribution to figure that out. So people come in on the main high-intent conversion form, get asked, how did you hear about us? They'll put in things like colleague, they might write a paragraph about how they heard of us, they might say podcast, LinkedIn, some combination of them. Automation runs in HubSpot to match the strings, so we get the free text of what a customer said, but we also categorize them into major categories like podcast, LinkedIn, word of mouth, community, search or online research, things like that. They all get categorized, and then we view that at the raw submission level, at the qualified opportunity level, and the revenue level. And then on the other side, we're looking at captured demand attribution, which is looking at what HubSpot attribution is providing, which we believe is a clear indicator of the intent of the buyer and a surrogate for how fast they're going to move through your funnel and the win rates. So we consider that the Mm -hmm. pipeline source, how they enter your pipeline. And then we graph the exact same thing at the conversion, at the qualified opportunity, and then at the revenue level. And we get, and you look at the revenue level, and you get completely different answers about how what attribution software is saying versus how people yeah. say that they heard about you, and they should be different. This is what people don't understand. Attribution software misses all of the places where you create demand, and it misses all of the behaviors necessary in order to do it. And so, all mm-hmm. the things that we get—podcast, LinkedIn, social, even non-conversion-based paid social—all these things are not going to be chalked up in attribution software properly. And so you need both. And then you, what we're looking for, we want people to enter our pipeline, capture demand attribution. We want people to come through organic search or direct traffic because they have the best conversion metrics, not a referral source, not from some like yeah. affiliate blog. Like We want people to go into Google or go into their browser, put Refine Labs in, come into the homepage, go to the page and convert because we've done all of the other education and created all the demand outside yeah. of that in dark social. And then on the create demand side, we get to look at that and be really be able to understand, okay, like where is the impact going? How is it changing over time? Like the shift from LinkedIn being the main driver to podcast being the main driver has been really interesting to watch over the past 12, 18 months. That's how we think about attribution and we are working to put it together a formalized process to help companies roll that out so they can see what's actually happening. And once you see it, you're like, wow, like, all the things yeah. that I thought would work are what our customers say are working. And so it gives mm. you a little bit more comp. It requires some people to think differently about how they do things. But the insights are incredible. Um, the insights are what yeah. people don't like. I'm not using this to go and prove that we should do more of the podcast. I'm using it to drive strategy insights because I read the full submission and it says, I'm friends with blah, 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 who then introduced me to your podcast and I've been listening to it ever since. And yeah. now, you know what I mean? And then you, you get more, like the qualitative input there of what people say 
helps me figure out who's referring us business, who's sharing the podcast, how often is our stuff getting shared in internal Slack channels. And then I can communicate that because this is how all buyers buy. Core to analytics is that it requires an unbiased data-driven approach. And what Chris is using is an open text field to collect, where did you hear about us? I see many companies go wrong when trying to ask this simple question. They give you a drop-down menu where you can select the channels that the company is running their demand gen. And I might add, they put those channels in order on the drop-down in the priority that the channels matter to their strategy. You see things like Google search, AdWords, Facebook, or from a friend. If they aren't using a drop-down, most are using a radio button to collect this information, as if people can only hear of your brand in one channel. And what you don't understand is that you were forcing the answer on your customer. They didn't hear about you through Google, but since it's the first option in the drop-down, it's what they selected. It's just like when you deploy a survey asking for feedback. You have a drop-down field for state, and Alabama is always the most popular state in your feedback results. And trust me, not that many people in your feedback survey are in Alabama. This is because the internet is lazy. They don't care about your data, and you're asking them to do work. No one on the internet wants to work. Open text fields can be your superpower when trying to capture authentic answers about how people heard of your company. Those open text responses will be 10 times more valuable to you than what you put in your stupid dropdown. We use open text so much with our clients and in our own business, we even built a free word and phrase parsing tool that allows us to process one to five word phrases from unstructured open text field data. We have used it to convert our qualitative data into quantitative feedback. You can check this free tool out at magal.io on our ventures and tool page. Now back to Chris to hear a little bit more about the pieces he's putting in his stack. So you have this super, super minimized stack, in essence, to run the growth of the business and demand gen. But as a service-based business, right, you are still based on services. And you're measuring, you had mentioned activities is, of course, how you're measuring your demand gen team. Did we get the three podcasts out? How are you measuring or how are you managing? What is the stack for your services team? At the moment, we currently operate project management out of Asana, but we'll be moving that into HubSpot shortly as well. Way better analytics connected directly to the customer, we use a bunch of different creative tools like proof. We're, I think, implementing Workfront for proofing and some other things like that. But the idea is like trying to connect that all within HubSpot for the analytics of customer success. And when we look at the success of our customers, it basically gets framed into a couple of different categories. One is objective business results. How much mm. more pipeline do you get out of your website after six or 12 months than the year before, the six months before you hired us? Should be pretty simple. Did that number go up by 100% or more? Did that number go up by whatever your growth target was? And then you're putting that in HubSpot. Or you're, that's the intent is to put whether they did that in HubSpot so you can measure. Dashboards it. are built inside of their Salesforce instance to track the, those things and then right now reviewed manually. So success, a big part of it is based on results. Customers hire us to drive results. And so like yeah. that's step one. So hitting a specific growth target, which at the moment we're aggregating the growth percentage from our customers and then looking at what is the median growth over a 6, 12, 18, 24 month period of time and then understanding are each, each customer under the median, are they over mm. the median and why. So that's one piece of it. Well, this has been fantastic, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with everything at Refine Labs. We'll talk again in the future for sure. Thanks, Dan. That was a blast. I appreciate uh, the thoughtfulness of the interview. It was amazing. I thank you for it. It was a really good one.
coming back to Chris's approach of focusing on strategy over tech and never underestimating the importance of good qualitative data on your customers, here are the three top things that I'd recommend looking at in your stack when you're looking to gather qualitative insights about your customers. One, don't forget about revenue. This is one of the most important numbers you've gotta be watching if you wanna kill it. Not subscribers to your blog, not views on LinkedIn or any other such thing. At the end of the day, if it's not converting to your pipeline, then you've gotta pivot and try something else. But understand, content marketing like podcasts and blog posts are a long-term game, and you need to set your revenue expectations correctly over the long term. Two, there are loads of free tools that can get you started when you're putting out content on LinkedIn, YouTube, and other channels, and this can be a great place to start. However, when you're ready to gather more insights and data and your company is scaling, you may want to consider tools that enable you to have a dashboard tracking your success. You can build dashboards and products like HubSpot, Amplitude, Domo, or even Grow.com to pull all of this together in one place. Three, don't allow for biased answers when collecting insights. I'm sick of seeing stupid drop-down menus and radio buttons that don't even give the options for the way that I actually heard about your brand. Open text is the way to go if you want real marketing attribution from your customer. That's it for now. Because you're interested in the podcast, the next obvious step is to get a free copy of my book, Build Cool Shit, by texting us, The Stack, to 415-915-9011 or visiting us at maga.io. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.